Hi, welcome to Shift, PwC Canada's podcast on digital trends and topics that can make your business transformation a reality. I'm your host, John Finkelstein, and I'm also the creative director for PwC Canada. Today we're talking about a very hot topic, and that is privacy, data, and trust when it comes to customer experience. My special guest today is Pamela Snively, Chief Data and Trust Officer at TELUS. I'll tell you right now, there's probably uh, very few organizations, sectors that are uh, as concerned about trust uh, and data as the big telcos. Welcome to Shift. Thank you. Great to be here. Chief Data and Trust Officer. That's your title. Tell me, what does that mean to you? So, you know what? I get asked that question a lot because it's, it is an unusual title. Um, and I will often sort of just dismiss it and say, well, it's really just a fancy word for a Chief Privacy Officer. Uh, but it really isn't. And, and that title, in fact, is a large part of the reason why I took the job at TELUS. When I first started interviewing for the position, it was Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer. And over the course of discussions with some of the executives at TELUS and uh, largely with, with our CEO, who is you know, deeply committed to customer trust, maintaining customer trust, earning customer trust, uh, we started to talk about privacy um, in a, in a, at a deeper level, and we realized that it really shouldn't be about compliance. It should be about maintaining customer trust. It sounds like a nuance, but it actually isn't, because if you think about compliance, it feels very like internal organization. It's about us. And I love the fact that you're focusing on the, on the customer, because that's really what it's about at the end of the day anyway. No customer, no business. That's a great point. I, I love that perspective on it. Uh, it also makes it a lot easier for our business to understand why they need to do what they need to do. When I go in and talk to the business about maintaining and earning customer trust, that's a language they understand. Mm-hmm. They know how critically important that is, and that is what their entire business is about. So if I can put privacy and respect for the personal information of our customers into that language, then they understand it, and, and the whole game is transformed. When we start to think about things like um, trust and privacy and how it relates to the, to the customer, it feels like there's a lot more room for innovation and 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 changing and um, impermanence if you will because everything's moving everything's changing that's so true there's there are no limits to what we can do to to continue to earn and maintain customer trust and we are constantly looking for ways that we can go a step further but there are so many more opportunities and it's a discussion that we have daily like what more can we do how can we communicate better with our customers about what we're what we're going to be doing with their data and how can we be more thoughtful about it in, in all of our business initiatives and and of course today in today's world there are so many business initiatives that relate to data uh, I can hardly think of any that don't do you have to earn customer trust or do they already start the relationship uh, already trusting you and then it's, you're now in a position to either keep it or lose it? I think that depends on the customer. I think that there are pockets of customers out there that are in today's world starting off skeptical mm-hmm. um, and then there are others that are that are you know trusting and they sort of make assumptions about large organizations or about any organizations and quite frankly there are those who just don't think about it much at all. Um, but they will certainly think about it if we do something that, that jeopardizes their trust. As the public is hearing more about you know, these uh, egregious privacy breaches um, or just breaches of trust uh, that in terms of how data is used, which is not necessarily a, you know, the, the traditional someone hacked in and got your data and now it's, it's breached in the way that people think about it, but a breach of trust in terms of how we used it. I think we are starting a little bit behind the gate and we have to earn that trust going forward. It's really interesting because, especially in a position that you're in at TELUS, you, you have a, a lot of data on people, and not only personal data, but financial information. And it could go, kind of go either way because when you have a lot of data on someone, 
there's a lot of benefit to the customer as well because of what you can do. Like you say, what, what can we do with the data? It's not like it just sits around. What's the end game for all this? That is a, a huge priority for us is to use the data in a way that will um, make their customer experience better. It's important to look at, at providing choices for customers, better ideas about what, uh, what products and services that particular customer might be interested in, uh, being aware of where they are in the cycle of, of, um, you know, of a particular contract, where they are when they've most recently bought a phone, all sorts of uh, different aspects to our relationship with them on the telecommunications side. Along with data, you have to have sort of checks and balances in place to make sure that you know, it's, it's, it's private. So what kind of steps do you guys take in order to ensure that um, there isn't a breach, that the data is used correctly, that there's um, you know, security measures in terms of who can access it? So if we're assessing um, how a business might go ahead and use data, we would work with the security, the security department to make sure that at every step in the process of utilizing that data, the data will be kept secured. So how it's transmitted between areas within the, the company, for example, uh, could be an area of vulnerability. So we'll, we'll focus on that as well as, of course, always where it's stored. But in addition to that, whenever um, any part of the organization wants to uh, for example, use data for a different purpose, and this is this is different from security. They need to come to our department and uh, and submit what we call a privacy impact assessment, but go through a review for us to determine whether or not that's uh, in keeping with our commitments to our customer, in keeping with the reasonable expectations of our customer. Would they be surprised or or shocked by that use of data? That's not something we ever want to do. Do you think that um, most organizations have the right amount of thoughtfulness, if you will, uh, when it comes to data and privacy? I think in Canada, we have a, a pretty mature privacy tradition among our larger organizations. So I, I think that there is a lot more thought that goes into this than, than many people realize uh, within, within larger organizations. At TELUS, when stuff does go wrong, and I mean, we're all human, so things will go wrong. How do you remedy it? How do you make it feel okay from a customer experience? When we talk about having a breach readiness and response plan, you know, we, we know mistakes can happen, breaches can happen, but it's how you respond to the breach that matters. And that's where the trust is going to come in. It's whether or not it's clear to you that the organization is taking it seriously and trying to make this right. Um, and if you don't feel that way, then, then you, they've lost your trust. But when things do happen, and they might, what you do as a result of that is equally important, if not more important, as you say, in engendering trust, keeping trust, and even potentially getting more. Building trust. Yeah. Building trust. In our minds, we'll treat this as a lost customer that we need to recover, and we will do everything we can to, to win back that customer's trust and business. You know, it's interesting, too, because people, customers, will advocate or not on your behalf after it gets resolved. Hey, let me tell you what happened at TELUS. It was amazing. Right. Or it was terrible. That's a powerful thing mm -hmm. either way. So tell me. There's a lot of eyes right now on the Canada Mandatory Breach Notification. It's coming uh, November 1st. Right. So I think that's probably uh, a five-alarm fire for a lot of people. Tell us a little bit about that for those who don't know um, what this uh, breach notification is all about. So the Mandatory Breach Notification requirements uh, have really kind of two main prongs uh, for organizations. And the first is, well, three, I guess. The first is uh, that when, when there is a, a data breach that involves personal information, uh, a report has to be made to the commissioner if the breach rises to the level where there's a real risk of significant harm to an individual. So it can be even just one individual. It doesn't have to be a, a, a large-scale breach. Uh, so that requires reporting to the commissioner. It also requires notification to the affected individuals, so the individuals who, who are at risk of harm. 
And then the third piece is also a record-keeping requirement. I think it's actually pretty significant in terms of the effort that organizations have to put in, but less, um, less noticeable to the general public. Do you think that organizations are worried about this? I think some organizations are worried about it. Um, and, and, you know, organizations never know how, how things will play out and what this is going to look like in practice. So there's uncertainty around it, which is never good for business. There will be more reporting to the commissioner now than there has been in the past. Um, so we have been getting ready in terms of, um, you know, making sure our, our systems and our response protocol reflect that new requirement. Um, the record-keeping requirement, which is we have to keep a record of all incidents, even if there is no real risk of significant harm. Um, so all incidents involving personal information, and, and that's actually a pretty broad requirement, but it is, it is, a, it is a shift in how most organizations um, set up their record keeping and respond to an incident. So why, why now? Why, why do you think this is important now? I think it's a response to concerns about consumer trust in the digital ecosystem and just making sure that um, people feel confident that if something has happened that's impacting them, that they will be notified. I think the idea here is to have people be more aware of what's going on and allow them to protect themselves. And then I, I think the hope is that that will engender more trust in the in the. Uh, in the digital ecosystem, it it could go the other way though. We've seen other jurisdictions where they, we have this kind of notification fatigue, where people are hearing constantly about about smaller breaches, and people just kind of pitch them out and stop paying attention to them. And mm-hmm. and I think that's equally dangerous if people stop worrying about their privacy and start thinking that a breach is just the normal course. When it comes down to data and trust, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. there's some people who take it really like my personal data is, is sacred. Well, I, I think the, the Snowden revelations a few years ago have changed the way people think about it. It used to be just uh, identity theft. And, and that, didn't, you know, that didn't seem that real to people um, <clears throat> or realistic or didn't think that you know, they were the likely, can- the likely target. And so a lot of individuals just didn't take it as seriously. Um, but now that we're hearing about a, a different form of abuse of data, and you know, in a larger scale surveillance program, potentially, uh, people are a little bit more worried for, from a different perspective than they used to be. It's it's not just about identity theft. People are concerned about that, and they want more transparency around, you know, how how is how is my data being used, and how is it being used, you know, against me. Do you find that you're needing to communicate to people a lot around what it is you're doing? Are they asking questions? How do you go around making sure that customers feel? that you're being transparent with them? We do find that they are asking more questions lately. Um, right. So that, you know, we, we take note of that and we, we are very conscious of, of, of responding to the questions that they are asking. So after each of these scandals and each of these breaches, we will see a, an increase in, in calls in to find out if we're doing any of those things or how they can be protected against those things, um, who we're sharing data with, that, that sort of thing. So we, you know, we will always try to address where we see a, a series of questions or pattern trending and questioning that we'll try to put answers out there right away if they're not already on our website or, or somewhere else available to our customers. Um, <clears throat> but uh, one of the things that we've done is try to just put more information out and, and not in a way that inundates everyone. I mean, we, there's, you know, there's enough jokes out there about nobody, everybody knows nobody reads privacy policies. We all just click agree. And, and so making them longer and putting more detail into those is clearly not the answer if you really want to, to um, you know, meaningfully uh, gain customer trust. Let's talk a little bit about the interplay between the level of trust a customer has with an organization, how much data they're willing to share or not share. Do you see, do you see a correlation between that? I know I certainly fall in that category. I will think about the organization with whom 
I'm, I'm doing business before I decide how much information I'm going to give them. Um, and so I want to understand, you know, I, the, my trust in the organization is one thing, and then what they're going to be doing with the data is the, is, the, is the second thing. That's really interesting because now we're talking about brand reputation. Am I more willing to give a whole lot of personal information, you know, to Amazon versus, um, you know, some overseas e-commerce website that I've never heard of? Right. And you think about it in those kinds of terms, and then you realize that there really is uh, a brand play at here. And their their um, privacy policies could be exactly the same. Right. But then what? How do I really interpret it? So even if the words are there, I look for an organization that has a reputation to lose. Uh, if they don't have a reputation to lose, then I then I know that their their uh, attention to my privacy might not cost them anything if they if they create a breach. If you had advice for organizations, big and small, about how to take this seriously and maybe what what to do, what, what would you tell them? We have to really think hard as an organization um, about what your limits are and how far you will go and really consider your particular customer base. So I think that you know customers in, a, in, in, in one particular area of industry might have different expectations than others. So there's no one size fits all. As the world becomes more digital and as um, businesses become more automated, talking a lot about AI and uh, machine learning and RPA, so that's uh, robotic process automation, do you see that having an impact on, on, on trust and data cleanliness and all that kind of good stuff? Absolutely. So that's a huge area of focus for us right now. And, and you know, when we're looking at privacy from the beginning, and it sounds a little hokey to say, that one of the first things that, we, that I think you, you need to do is look at the principles that you're going to operate under. And, and that's going to be contextual to your industry as well as, you know, your own organization's corporate culture. That's been the only way that we've been able to really drive, drive change and structure a program that's meaningful at Talus around, around privacy. And we're now doing the same thing again um, when it comes to AI. And so we're starting again at the beginning of that um, of that journey and saying, okay, what are the what are the principles that we're going to live by? What's our our charter of ethics um, that we will commit to? And then, what are the policies and, and processes that we need to put in place to make sure we keep that uh, keep our word on that and make it true? That's really key. I think that's very very important. I think it's not just a box you check. Yeah, I think it's transformational when we approach it that way. Mm-hmm. Privacy seems like it's in its own little box. Does privacy, by virtue of what it is, enable innovation or does it hinder it? What, what are you seeing in there? I'm not sure if I see privacy in its own little box. If you're doing privacy well and you are doing it from this perspective of guiding principles and um, you know, uh, integrating it into the customer experience and the customer trust model, then, then, it, then, it's, fully, then it's fully integrated. It's not a separate box. It's part of how you do business and part of how you make decisions about business every day. But on the, on the barrier side, there's some interesting um, dynamics there where often privacy is seen as a barrier to innovation. And I, and I know even with some of the, uh, the consultations that are going on right now with the federal government, the roundtables on innovation are actually turning into discussions about privacy because people are seeing it as a barrier to innovation. Uh, I, I think we have to see it as, as, a, as not necessarily an enabler of, of innovation, but a motivator for innovation. Um, that we can we can do things differently and more creatively and arrive at um, the the technology and the solutions that we want that are still privacy respectful and in fact sometimes um, privacy can actually motivate technology all on its own so many of the fixes for te- the problems that technology 
brings um, can be can be uh, found in technology. So let's use technology to fix fix the technology, and let's not just throw up our hands and say, "Well, this is just a problem with technology today." Uh, if we can if we can design a problem, we can design a solution. I'm going to retract what I said about privacy being in its own little box because how could it be? Because because the world is changing, and because there's new things that keep happening all the time, it, it can't. It's not. It's not static. We can't look at it as static. If something doesn't already exist or is leading us down a way that doesn't seem right, let's innovate around it. Let's innovate a way forward. That's a very cool spot to be. You know, I had, I had this you know, great moment this summer. My my son is uh, uh, doing his his uh, degree in in engineering computer science and wants to get into AI and had a summer job in a company doing some AI work. And he came to me after like a week on the job and just said, what you do is so cool. Like, AI is 50% privacy. It was heartening to hear that, that it's being you know, taught to him as 50% privacy. Like, are, are we making sure that the data sets that are being used um, are allowed to be used for that, that the customer, that that's consistent with the customer's expectations? So all of this is, is all feeding back into this whole concept of, of customer trust. And, and maybe it goes beyond what we've traditionally thought of as privacy, but you know, I start to talk more and more today about data ethics uh, rather than just pure privacy, because it goes beyond just our, our piece of one piece of privacy legislation and into yeah. a much broader field if we're talking about customer trust. Well, it's interesting because ethics, by virtue, by definition, sounds like there's decisions to be made as opposed to is it private or not. Promise and peril. I love that. It's promise and peril. Yeah, I love the fact that this conversation went beyond the idea of personal data as it as it relates to customization because i think people want customized experiences and i think they're willing to they're willing to give up a certain amount of data in order to get something that seems more relevant and contextual and timely we really got more into the ethics behind it and what organizations need to be thinking about in order to engender trust and set themselves up for that kind of conversation i mean i think we're at a, a basically a citizen trust tipping point um, in, the, in the government as well as in private sector. And, and this is going to be the moment in time when we make the decision to, to fix this and get it right and do it right and reap all the benefits and the promise or, or we're, we're gonna, it's going to pass us by. We're going to miss the opportunity. I, I think that's a significant call to action for listeners, for organizations. It's like doing it right can have tremendously incredible impact to both the organization and the, the public do it wrong, and we miss the boat. Yeah. Using data to make a meaningful difference in everybody's life. That's why I love this job. So my mind has been expanded and blown off the hinges a little bit here. So <laughs> thank you for that. And I hope other people are thinking about privacy and trust and data ethics in a completely different way and in, in a new light, um, because it's even more important than I already knew it to be. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here on Shift. I think this has been a really important and timely podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shift. You can get more details at pwc.com slash CA slash Shift. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast series. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, or your podcast platform of choice. Just so you know, this podcast has been prepared by PricewaterhouseCoopers, LLP, an Ontario limited liability partnership for general guidance on matters of interest only and does not constitute professional advice. Until next time.